0: Good evening again, and would you tonight join me in turning to the book of Esther. The book of Esther, and we're going to be in chapter 7 again. We're going to be in the last very few verses of the scripture and see some of the things that the Lord has given to us in this great and glorious book of Esther. We've mentioned a number of times that many people found fault with this book, wondering whether it was actually in the canon or not because we do not find one name of God. But we have noticed as we studied that there is the very fingerprints of God all over this book. We see him through the lattice, as we read there in the Song of Solomon. And we have, as we come to the conclusion of this chapter, we are reminded again and again and again of God's oversight, of God's plans, and God's purpose in all things. Even in the rise and the fall of Haman. He was second in the kingdom. And he's cast into eternal misery. Esther chapter 7, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. And the king arising... From the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood to make request of his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine and Haman was fallen upon the bed, whereupon Esther was, that then said the king, Will you force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also The gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who hath spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. The king's wrath was pacified. Now, I mentioned last week as we looked at verse seven that the king went out into the garden and he counted to 10. <laughs> but he came back and he was still full of wrath. You know, as we look at this, we find once again the fulfillment of that passage of scripture over the book of Romans chapter nine. So would you join me there again in the book of Romans chapter nine? Romans chapter nine, what a wonderful passage of scripture this is, for if it were not for, as we read here in Romans chapter 9, and uh, beginning with verse 21, if it were not for God having vessels made unto honor, all would have made been made to dishonor. As it tells us here, hath not the potter power over the clay. Now the Apostle Paul is making reference to the Old Testament passage of scripture here Let's go down to the potter's house. Let's see what's going on there. An illustration, a metaphor is going on there. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Now, the Lord is sharing with us there through the Apostle Paul that what he does with people is out of the same lump of people. He doesn't have a special creation over here from the beginning, And then one lesser creation over here, it's out of the same lump, out of the lump of Adam, out of the lump of Adam's fall, out of the lump that has come down to this time, but God had ever a purpose in them to have a a sum of this lump, out of the very same lump, uh, vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, God did not make up his mind about that when people said, I don't want God. Because if he had, nobody would have God if that's what they chose. I'm reminded of a conversation that was last week about uh, just suppose God called everybody out of the world up to his presence and said, who among you would want to come to me as your savior? And everybody in the crowd would say, why did you call us here? We don't wanna be here. Well, that's the attitude of natural man. So we appreciate the very pulse of God on his people. So it tells us going on here, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known? Now, I see that here with the rise and fall of Haman. What if God willing to show his wrath? What if God willing to show that he is in charge of all things, even to the man that collected the position of second in command, now, we don't know much about him prior to that time, but we find out that he is a vessel made of God. God ordained that he be there in that kingdom. What if God willing, verse 22, to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? Now, how long he let Haman live is much long suffering. Haman was an poop from the very beginning. And God performed much long suffering here until the appointed time. But they are vessels fitted, vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction or prepared for that purpose, that he might make known the riches of his glory in the vessels of mercy. Now we've looked at Haman and the apostle Paul or Haman and Saul, and we find out that there's not a nickel's worth of difference between them. Just years have passed They are made out of the same lump. They have the same attitude towards God. They have the same attitude towards God's people. I don't know if Haman actually killed any of of God's people, but we do find that Saul of Tarsus was very participatory in the murder or the killing of some of God's people, Stephen being one of them. You know, from our viewpoint, if reading it in the newspaper, we'd probably find that there were more charges against Saul of Tarsus than there were of Haman, because he wasn't permitted to do anything yet. But we find with Saul, he was one that had a number of people stoned to death. So when it comes to their position before God in a natural state, there's no difference. But when it comes together with a position before God in a spiritual state, there's altogether difference, because God aforetime had chosen Saul unto salvation, and God aforetime chose not to save Haman. And it's all for God's glory. So Haman is a vessel of honor, fitted, prepared, made known before the foundation of the world for destruction. And even the lost, even the heathen, even those without Christ shall honor God. You know what it says in the New Testament? Every knee shall bow. They will honor God. They will be cast into everlasting darkness and continue to raise their fist against God and say, I would not and will not and will never have this man rule over me. So sin will continue. The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that were made and the vessels of mercy that we find here how glorious it is to read about God's mercy, that he would be merciful to any. But he had a foretime before the world began, before the foundation of the world, determined purpose to have mercy on his people, those chosen in Christ by the Father before the foundation of the world. There are vessels of honor which he had prepared You know, this fits right along with that passage of Scripture over in the book of Ephesians. So would you join me there in Ephesians chapter 2? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we find this, that Mordecai could honestly say, the Apostle Paul could honestly say, that you and I that know the Lord could honestly say that whatever we have done that has been an honor to God, has demonstrated our love for God, has been prompted by God, for we are his workmanship, We're we're not just out here honoring God because it feels good. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is that new creation. This has made the difference between Saul of Tarsus and Haman, that God would grant Saul of Tarsus the new creation, the new birth. And without it, nobody could see anything and nobody would be anywhere In the presence of God. So, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's the only reason those on the right-hand side were said, Welcome to the kingdom. And they said, When did we do that? Well, you didn't, but I did. You are my workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And I before ordained that you would do that. So we say, hallelujah, thank you for all your work on our behalf. Well, as we follow this through, we find in going back to the book of Esther, back to the book of Esther, if you would, there in chapter 7 and verse 9. Esther chapter 7, verse 9, we find these these words that uh, the Lord gives us. Esther chapter 7 and verse 9. I ask what evidence is is left us in these words and the words of Harbona of Haman's character. You know, we, we don't know this man very well. We're just introduced to him, and we find out that the influence that Haman must have had on all the servants and staff of the king... What did this man say? Hang him on his own gallows. He had not made much of an impression anywhere. And even the servants are saying, you know, this guy is just a rotten guy. There is no support for this man. What can we see of this biblical illustration? It's sure for all the ungodly. Hang him. That's what God will say. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. In in the book of uh, the Psalms, Psalm 105, would you join me there in Psalm 105? Psalm 105. It tells us in those same words there in the book of Esther chapter seven, verse nine, some words about Mordecai. It tells us about Mordecai. He had had done, done good for the king. He had noticed these two men talking. He reported their conversation. Later he is rewarded for it, but he is a friend of the king and Haman is not a friend of the king. He's looking for promotion and more promotion Here in the book of the Psalms 105, verse 14, notice this with me, if you would. He suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. What a statement about Haman. For us, Mordecai, as a preacher of righteousness, for us, if we were there in the in the capital city of this Persian empire, and we had the opportunity, I'd want to be around this man because he knows something about the gospel. He knows something about Christ. He knows something about the Messiah. He knows where salvation is. And here we find that there's been one man that has his eyes set on putting this man to death. And yet the scriptures share with us time and time again that Don't you dare touch mine anointed. You know, the Lord has, it has pleased the Lord from time to time to let his people be promoted through the most horrific circumstances. Many of God's people have died terrible deaths, but the end of those who did that unless they were as Saul of Tarsus, how many were like him, who were breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the people of God, that God intervened in their lives and saved them by his grace, and they became preachers of righteousness. How many there are? I don't know. There are some. But by and large, those who have touched the Lord's anointed have been dealt with in the most severe manner. We find that this is a, is a ordination of God. It is, touch not my anointed. We find people throughout the times of the Jews there in, uh, in Numbers, in Leviticus, in Genesis, Exodus, that made an attempt to do that. God came and intervened in their behalf. Touch not my anointed. Well, we read read with me over here in the book of Hebrews that some of God's people have been promoted to glory Through violent means, yet those that touched his anointed, most were before prepared to wrath. That's God's judgment. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, so, so much of this book of Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter that's given to us, is such pleasantry to read. I love reading about by faith, Abel, by faith. Abraham by faith, Moses by faith, David by faith, Solomon by faith, by faith. But you get down to verse 33 of the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. I love it. That's what we read prior. And then the apostle was led to write by the Holy Spirit that there were many of God's people throughout the history of this world that were promoted to glory by great conflict. Our brother Abel was promoted to glory. First person, first individual ever created by God, saved by the grace of God, to be promoted to heaven. He's in heaven alone with the Lord till the next person died. Ah, Well, he got to see things that he'd never seen before. And he was alone to visit with the Lord. Well, here it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, quenched the violent, violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed, valiant, in fight, turned the fight of the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were, uh-oh. We've read all of that. It's so good, it's so enjoyable to read. Oh, how God would do all of this. And then he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. What does that mean? They did not deny the faith, even under great stress. Someone asked me one time, they didn't know whether they had dying grace. And I simply said, are you dying? And they said, no. No. And I said, you don't need it right now. Now dying grace, some were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, not by reward, my goodness, that they'd have a resurrection from spiritual things. Others had trial of cruel mocking and scourging, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of whom this the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And yet they all could have this word said about them, by faith. By faith. What? Glorious thing. Now, Haman was very set on destroying Mordecai and in one day and all the rest of God's people in a short time, and he was rewarded for his efforts, hanging on his own gallows. Now, going back to the book of Esther, chapter 7, verse 10. Would you notice that with me? This is so pictorial. <laughs> the book of Esther, chapter 7, verse 10. There's something that took place here when Haman was taken care of. You notice what that says? It says there in the last verse, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Now notice this. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Now that's a good thing to have the king's wrath pacified. But when we begin to think about that, we find that that is exactly what the king of heaven had happened to him in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus. His wrath was pacified. Now, this Sunday, we're going to be in the 25th chapter of the book of Numbers. There are some wonderful things in that chapter about a covenant of peace. God's going to grant a covenant of peace but would you look with me in the book of Numbers, chapter 25. There is some things going on among the children of Israel. Remember for those three or four chapters, we were out there away from the children of Israel and we were dealing with Balaam and Balak and all of that stuff that was going on. And the Lord prevented Balaam from cursing. and error. Those blessings, my, I was looking at that. I said, there's some messages right there. Just in the blessings that God caused Balaam to give. There's a star recognized there. That's Jesus Christ. How glorious is that? And then we get right back over there to the children of Israel in the book of Numbers chapter 25, and they're just lunatics. My goodness. How could they do that? We know ourselves, don't we? Except for the grace of God, there go I. Here is a whole bunch of people that have been influenced by Balak and his mercenaries to go to invite these strange women into their camp, and they brought along with them their strange religion. And they're having the same kind of worship that we find 40 years earlier when they're dancing around a golden calf. It's almost identical religion that they are there. And we know that a lot of false religions get hung up on that other side of God's great blessing. They're having all kinds of nonsense going on there sexually. Well, look here in Numbers chapter 25 and verse 10. Chapter 25 and verse 10, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is red letters. (laughs) This is red. He said, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. God Almighty, Jehovah God, has had his wrath turned away from the children of Israel. There's going to be thousands of people that are going to die as a result of God's wrath right there. While he was zealous for my sake among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Now that's God speaking. I'm not gonna tone it down. (laughs) This one person stepped in and took care of the wrath of God. Now what a picture we have here. The king's wrath was pacified. The wrath of God was pacified. It tells us that in verse 12, wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. Now we're still looking into that and we hope Sunday we can say a few words about that. But there is wrath going on and it has been stayed. It has been stopped by something taking place. There has been something take place. All right, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Joshua, along the same lines. Joshua chapter seven. In Joshua chapter seven, verse 24, we have here these words, the wrath again of God. What, how terrible is the wrath of God? How terrible is the wrath of God? It, it is so serious. It is, it's unquenchable unless something is done and taken care of. There must be someone that this wrath falls out on. Well, here we find Joshua and all the children of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep. and his Does that mean all? Everything that belonged to this guy. And all that he had, and they brought him into the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones. Now we know the account of Achan. They went in, and he took this stuff, and most of it has application to some religious paraphernalia that he had fallen into. He was not one of the Jews, he was not a believer. He'd fallen into some religious stuff and, and they stoned him with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones. unto this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Now something took place here that turned the fierceness of God's anger fierceness of God, jealous God. Keep this thought in mind and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Think about that King Ahasuerus. His wrath was pacified. He became peaceful again. There was peace with him again. Something took place and now there's peace. It was pacified. His, his wrath was pacified. And here in the book of, of the Psalms, Psalm 106. Oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. I thought I was going to have to ask Mike to find it for me. Psalm 106 and verse 23. Now, at another time, we find that Moses, it says here, Therefore he said, that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Something happened. Someone stood in the breach. Someone became the object here that took care of the problem. And we find here it was Moses. He stood in the breach to turn away his wrath God is a god of wrath and we find out that he is going to be wrathful unless something is taken care of all right as we follow this down in John chapter 3 verse 36 John chapter 3 and verse 36 the king's wrath was pacified here in John chapter 3 and verse 36 we find there is the Lord speaks about a group of people that God's wrath abides on. Here it says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John three thirty six, And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know, in our salvation, we realize that God was right if he should choose to, to pour out his wrath on us. But we find out that in the covenant of grace, God never had his wrath towards his elect. He never was wrathful towards them. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. There has never been a wrathful intent towards the people of God because God knew he who he was going to pour his wrath on. In the covenant of grace, the sun would stand in the gate. The son would be in the place and take the wrath. It was that that kept God pacified and he never had wrath towards his people. So those that the wrath of God abideth on, it has ever been abiding on them. He is waiting for the time that that wrath will be fulfilled. But from the council halls of eternity, there has been God's wrath ready to be poured out upon those that are not his, those who will never believe, and we find throughout eternity that will be done. All right, let's follow this just a little further. The wrath of God would have been on all of the church except for his surety. Someone had to pay the bill. Someone's gonna pay the bill. Someone's gonna stand in the position of surety and redeemer, Someone who would step in and all, and take all of God's wrath. And that, we find, is our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way that the wrath of the king, the wrath of God, can be pacified. Judgment must fall. We find judgment fell on Haman, and his wrath was pacified. Well, that's gonna take care of a whole bunch of people, but what about the rest that have gone free? The rest that are left alive, the rest. Well, God poured out his wrath against our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. And the death of Christ appeased God. We don't understand all that is, but it did appease God, satisfied God, put him in a position that he could say, I am pacified. I no longer have that. All right? His holy, righteous demands against us, God took out his wrath on Christ instead of the elect. And he had purposed that from everlasting, that he would take out his wrath on his darling, his son. We never want to have the thought that God loves us because Christ died for us. That is a misnomer. You know what we have? Christ died for us because God loved us. He didn't die, love us, and then he died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us, even when we were sinners. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter five, if you would. Romans chapter five. Just think about the events that took place in the book of Esther. Here is a king that demonstrates being pacified. Wrath was poured out. Hang him. And here in Romans chapter five and verse eight, we read this. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we have a solution. Psalm 34. Jump back there to the Old Testament with me, if you would, to the book of the Psalms. Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes, Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. I just listened to a message by Brother Henry, and he talked about blind Bartimaeus. And he just brought out a very, I should have known this, I should have assumed to know this, that In that crowd, how many people were talking? Chatter, 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 chatter. Heal me, do this, my daughter, that. He's just going on and on. And one man cried out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what? Jesus heard that man. Out of all of that what's going on in here, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. I have my righteous. Those that I made righteous, I have the evil. And you know, the people that are righteous say, I am no better than they are. And the Lord said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. All right, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 7. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 7. As we think about the pacification of the king, the king was pacified. The wrath of the king was pacified. We have the Lord Jesus that pacified the wrath of the father. And here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 7, verse 1 it says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying unto Ezekiel, also thou son of man, Ezekiel chapter seven, verse two, also thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God of it, the, of the, unto the land of Israel, and in, the end is come upon the four corners of the land. Now is the end come upon thee. I will send mine anger upon thee and will judge thee according to thy ways and will recompense upon thee all thy abominations. And you know what the children of God said? If God should count sin, who shall stand? If God should... And over here he says, the end is coming because... I will recompense upon thee all thy abominations. The church says, Lord, you could have, but thank you for not. Lord, you're going to there, but here. And, and mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I put. Will I have pity, but I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, and evil and only evil, behold, is come and the an end is come. The end is come. It watch for thee. Behold, it is come. The morning is come upon thee, O thou that dwellest in the land. The time is come. The day of trouble is near. Not the sounding again of the mountains. Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee and accomplish mine anger upon thee, and I will judge thee according to thy ways and will recompense thee for all thine abominations and my eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to the ways of thy abominations that are in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. You know, from one side of this, we see God in his wrath, and on the other side, we see the Lord Jesus taking every one of these words upon him. I will punish. Well, we find that so clearly stated in our final verse of Scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah 53. I will not pass over anything. I will cover everything. I will judge everything. I will judge. I will pour out my wrath. I will do this. And those without Christ, it shall be done. And those that are in Christ, it shall be done. But here we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, how glorious it is where the wrath of God fell. On his son. And you know what? As we read here, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper. Backing up there to verse five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. And so the wrath of the king is pacified. He poured it all out on our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to him, placed upon him. And everything that we read there in Ezekiel chapter 7 was placed upon him and he was judged. And you know, at the end of that great judgment, Jesus Christ said with a loud voice, It is finished. It's paid for. It's done. The wrath of God is appeased. And the king, it could be said, was his wrath was pacified. And we are witnesses of that and of his great grace.